The truth is, one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. So I thank you for that, and I just pray that each day that we have the boldness to live like that. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for joining us in this service this morning. We ask, God, that your presence just fill each, each and every one of us. Um, and if there is someone out here who doesn't know you personally, God, I just pray that their heart would be softened today through singing of song, through preaching of the word, and through, uh, through the entire Sunday service. So we thank you for your goodness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Jacob Herringer. I'm one of the elders here. We want to welcome especially anyone visiting with us this morning. So thank you so much for being here. Would everybody please just take a moment to greet someone around you? Again, welcome everyone. Thank you so much for being here with us this morning. Um, a couple of uh, announcements, actually a few announcements this morning. Um, so first off, there are yellow sheets, and they used to be in the pews, and I think now they're in the back uh, of the church there. So if you're new, if you have a prayer request, if you're visiting and, and need anything, the yellow sheets are the way to communicate with us. Um, so if you could fill those out and drop them in the offering box uh, right between the uh, double doors on the inside of the, the sanctuary here. Coincidentally, that's also where your offering goes. So if you would uh, put your offering in that box as well, we'd appreciate that. Um, okay, over the next couple of weeks, there are many things going on. On August 13th at 12.15, right after, so basically right after Sunday service, there's a baptism service and picnic at Silver Lake. Everybody is welcome. Bring uh, lawn chairs, um, family, friends and uh, a little bit of food to share. So just kind of some side dishes. Uh, there's a note that no milk, eggs, cream, or mayo, which, ooh, is it really worth eating if you can't have those things? Uh, meat, buns, um, and some beverages will be su supplied by Maranatha. We're calling this a pot faith. Uh, pray about what God wants you to bring and bring that, okay? <laughs> Um, if you don't, if you're not into cooking, uh, baking, that sort of thing, bags of chips, soda, stuff like that is all great. Uh, if you'd like to bring something like that, pickles as well, I guess, since we're maybe having some burgers. So also anyone wanting to be baptized, which is the most important thing, I guess, more than the food, but anybody wanting to be baptized, please contact a pastor. We already have a number of people, um, that are going to be baptized that day. Um, Friday and Saturday, August 11th and 12th, there'll be a men's camping outing at the Freisingers in Bruce, Wisconsin. Uh, so, uh, if it's like any men's event that I've been to or men's camp out, if there's 20 guys, there's 20 tents. So I'm sure if you don't have a tent, there'll be extra space because it seems like everybody, you know, has their, has their own tent and their own stuff. So you can come on out for that for the Friday evening, for Friday and Saturday. You bring uh, poles, kayaks, canoes, there's a, there's a, a river right behind the property there. So, uh, you can sign up at the welcome desk, um, or on the, on the website so we can plan accordingly 
snacks and food are provided. Uh, the Salvation Army Shelter House in Barron is looking for painters to paint the Maranatha-sponsored room uh, in about three weeks. So if that's something that you feel like you would like to do, um, please contact the church office. Okay, uh, two more things. So last week we had our annual meeting um, after service, and we um, cruised through it pretty quick. There were a number of, uh, or a couple of, one bylaw change, and then some nominating and um, approving of new elders. And so I just wanted to take a moment to explain the bylaw change that was voted on. So we had, we had had a meeting previously in January. We had a couple of town halls to discuss the bylaw change. And so there was a motion made to amend the Maranatha bylaws in regard to the composition of the elder board um, in an effort to more closely align with biblical teaching by recognizing all full-time pastoral staff as voting elders while also adding stipulations to guard against perceived conflicts of uh, potential or perceived conflicts of interest. So we had a, uh, a change in the way the bylaws w- were written in, in regards to the way the pastors were members of the elder board. So um, that uh, bylaw uh, was approved and was changed. Um, and uh, so one of the, one of the concerns, and I, I know that uh, uh, some of the people had, had made mention of this, and I know Pastor Tony had sent out an email about this as well, one of the concerns was, what if you have somebody new, we're going to, get, we're going to make them a pastor and they're going to be able to vote on things, that sort of, that sort of thing. Um, so we, we added a stipulation in the policies that if, if uh, I'll, just, I'll, read the, I'll read the stipulation, the general practice of the elders when hiring an individual straight out of college or seminary or when hiring an individual with less than two years of full-time ministry experience or less than four, four years of part-time experience is to hire the individual initially as a ministry director rather than as a pastor. After a season of faithfulness in serving at Maranatha and demonstrating the qualifications of an elder, the elders may transition the individual into a pastoral role upon unanimous vote of the elder board. So if you do have any questions about that, please contact uh, one of the elders. Uh, we'd be happy to uh, talk through that with you if there's, if there's any questions you have about that. So, um, but we're, we're, we're more than happy to have those discussions. We also want to take um, a moment to... Um, uh, pray for our new uh, elders that were added last week. So uh, we, when we were discussing this, I said, you know, I, I sometimes get a little uncomfortable with the attention as being an elder and, you know, I, I'm just a normal guy. Uh, so, um, but that's why we need prayer. And so it's very important that our, that our church prays for us as elders. We, uh, we, we are uh, inadequately, inadequately equipped to do this job, and so we need God's help. So that comes through prayer, and so we'd, I'd like to invite Ben Bay uh, up uh, with us this morning. He uh, was a, an elected new elder, and then Pastor Aaron, who, because of the bylaw change, is now an elder in our church, and Andre Abraham as well, uh, but I don't believe he's here this morning. You know, this is like show, not showing up your first day of work. I, <laughs> I think we, there should be some punishment uh, for this, so... I'm going to ask Pastor Cody to come on up, and we're going to pray for um, our elders. Awesome. If you guys could just join me in a word of prayer as we pray over our church and just the new leadership that we have with our elders. So join me in a word of prayer. Father God, I thank you so much that you love the church that you gave your son. And he took our place. And now we are the bride. We are the church And it's so beautiful. And Lord, I thank you for this church specifically. 
We have many churches here in the city in Barron County that just worship you nonstop, and we're one of those churches. And I'm so grateful for your hand of work within our church throughout the years, the many, many years. And Lord, I'm so grateful for what we have been doing here as a church. There's more unity, there's more joy, there's more ministry, and you're moving and working. And Lord, we pray for the leadership, the pastors, the elders, and even the staff. But right now, we just pray for these three new elders. We pray for Ben, for Andre, and for Aaron, that you would just equip them, keep them humble, keep their eyes on you, Jesus. It's tempting to be caught up in the, the busyness of life, but as elders, we're called not to do the business of the church, but work on the spiritual aspect of the church. So keep our hearts close to you. Shape us, guide us, and we pray over these men. Anoint them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. Good morning. Um, I didn't realize this till. Uh, someone had mentioned it to me today, but it is Family Celebration Sunday. And uh, while we haven't been uh, specifically devoting time to that this year in light of uh, our, our push for discipleship with our discipleship groups, um, today we have the privilege of uh, helping a family and coming alongside a family in an act of dedication. So I'm going to ask if Abigail and Oliver would bring their parents up. Uh, here at Maranatha, uh, we believe that dedication more closely follows a biblical pattern uh, than infant baptism. We don't uh, baptize babies here. We instead dedicate families, and in that we, uh, we dedicate ourselves as the church to them, and, and, and they as parents dedicate themselves to their children. So there is some uh, scriptures that they asked to be read, and then I'll ask you guys a series of questions, right? So they, had cho they chose Proverbs 4, 20 through 27, which says, My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and the health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free from perversity, Keep corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet. And, the stead, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. And they also chose uh, Jeremiah 29, 11, which says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. All right, guys, I have a series of questions for you as parents, and if you would uh, affirm your desires by answering with, we will. Will you commit before God and these people to train Abigail and Oliver in the ways of the Lord? Will you accept your God-given responsibility to raise Abigail and Oliver in a Christ-centered home? Will you promise to love Abigail and Oliver unconditionally as the Lord loves you and to involve them in fellowship with the body of Christ in the local church? All right, now Pastor Cody has a series of questions for us. So a big part about today is we're involved in this also in helping them, whether that's Sunday school, Awana, praying for them, helping them when they have needs. So Maranatha, I have a series of questions for you. And please affirm your desire in answering each of these with we will. Will you, Maranatha, commit to supporting Jacob and Claire in training of Abigail and Oliver? 
Will you come beside them and encourage them in their role as parents? Will you help them in every possible way to see that Abigail and Oliver know the love of God and the love of our church? All right, let's take a moment and pray over them. Wherever they are. All right, Father God, we thank you so much for the beauty of family. And these two children are precious. Very, very precious. Life is just this special gift. And we are so grateful that they've been given this gift of these two children. We pray over them, their family, that they would come to trust in you more. Having little children is very straining on a marriage, so we pray for their marriage. Strengthen their marriage. May it be anchored in your love. We pray for their children, that they would come to know you someday more and more as they see the beauty of Jesus Christ. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right. What a great morning, amen? All right, well, this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to confront one of the greatest, and I would probably say the greatest, mistakes that we can ever believe, okay? We're going to deal with one of the greatest mistakes that anyone could ever believe. I'm not talking believing that the Vikings may get a Super Bowl trophy. That might be a mistake. Or the mistake of believing that olives taste good. Olives are gross, right? Okay, okay, all right. Or as a little kid, I believe, this is a mistake, I believe, because how many of you like watermelon? Oh, yeah. Well, now they have like seedless watermelon. But back in the day, we had just, it was peppered with all those legs, you know. I believe that if you ate one, swallowed it, a few days later, they grow out your ears. That's a mistake. You can still eat watermelon seeds, but maybe don't eat too many of those, okay? Here is the greatest mistake. The greatest mistake we can ever believe is that we can save ourselves. That is the greatest mistake that we can ever believe. God, I'm good enough for you to love me, to accept me. And even though it's something that, oh, yeah, 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 we fall into that trap. So let's pray before we get into Scripture. Father God, we come before you and I thank you for this day. It is already, I've just been smiling through the the worship songs that we sing, the, the fellowship time that we've had to just greet one another and be with one another. And the beauty of what you're doing here in the church and the two little kids, Abigail and Oliver. So Lord, we thank you so much for what you're doing. But this morning I pray that we would ready our hearts right now. Almost like we're preparing to go into surgery. We need to pause, get ready, because Spirit of God, you're going to do some work in our hearts this morning. And I pray that everyone in this room, that we would get our hearts ready for what you are about to do. Lord, we come before you, and we ask, do your work, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? Amen. So we are in the book of Philippians, looking at what it means to live for Christ. So take your Bibles and go to Philippians. If you don't have a Bible, we've got one in front of you. Or if you're in the front row, they're underneath the seats there in front of you. Maybe you didn't know that. Philippians chapter 3, we're in this section. This is one of the great sections in Scripture where he corrects the mistaken thinking, the mistaken theology of those false teachers by showing them that their legal works 
are not gains, and their supposed profits must be considered loss to the one true great gain of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. In fact, tomorrow, I can't wait to, it's, it's, it's just such a, it's a hard thing. Shelby walked passed away this week. So her funeral is tomorrow, her celebration of life. So there's this hard part to sorrow, but she knew Christ. And I'm excited about sharing about that as Pastor Tony and I get to be a part of that. So let's take a look at Philippians chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. And it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, because they're very dangerous. Let me take a look here. Let's pause here. A few times Paul, here's what Paul does. And I've noticed this in some of Paul's writing. He does this in Ephesians chapter 3, does it, or chapter 2. He does a couple places. He starts a thought... And then he kind of goes on a tangent, which is good. He goes deeper into a subject, and then back to that thought. He starts something. He's already talking about rejoicing. He says it again. And he says, I want to protect you, safeguard you against these evildoers. And then he kind of pauses, and then he goes deeper a little bit. So I'm going to do the same thing this morning. I'm going to look firstly at this first part, and then we're going to go to the middle section mainly. This first part, there's a command to have joy. Joy is especially meaningful during hard circumstances. When life is hard, you've got to have joy. Rejoice. And we talked about that last week. And it must be centered not on our circumstances, but on the Lord. Again, here's the line. Don't let circumstances dictate how you worship. Instead, let the worship of God, the knowledge of God, dictate how you live in your circumstances. And we can rejoice. Why? Because God is sovereign, right? He is completely in control. God is sovereign. Number two, God is with you. And as we saw last week, God is at work within you. In the first few verses, Paul gives a safeguard and a warning about the theology of false teachers and their thinking. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover that part uh, in a couple weeks, not next week, but the week after. We're going to talk about, a little bit about some of the wrong thinking. Now, with powerful words, Paul shows this great contrast of man's way, thinking, this is how I can earn salvation compared to God's plan, God's way of salvation. So let's jump to verse 4. Paul now reflects on his right to speak to these false teachers. These people are bringing wrong thinking. And the claims of his opponents. And he responds with his own confidence. And he describes parts of his personal job and his life kind of like a religious resume. He kind of lays it out for him here. Check out my personal testimony. Look at my history. Look at my pedigree. Look at how cool I am. So let's take a look. Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So here he goes and gives his resume. Here he lists seven things, seven advantages that he has over the people he's talking to. Basically he's saying, listen, you guys have your stuff, but I'm going to impress you with my list of things. The first four are his inherited aspect, like his birthright. And the last three are his personal achievements. First, he brags about his privilege inherited positions. Take a look at some of them. Circumcised on the eighth day. Paul was completely Jewish from birth. Unlike all the Gentiles around him, he was completely Jewish. In fact, there were Jewish people there that understood that, and they saw that there were Gentiles coming to Christ. And they were being circumcised, but they were old. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He was a person who had always been Jewish. Look at number two. Of the people of Israel. Here now he looks at the racial aspect of it. The Jews were the ones who were chosen by God. He had, they had status and privileges unlike any other nation on the earth. They, as Romans chapter 9 says, receive sonship. They receive the divine glory. They receive the covenants. They are the ones who receive the law. He was part of that. Or the third one, the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was Jacob's favorite. And he was the tribe of that. And the origin of Israel's first king. Saul, who was the namesake of Paul. Number four, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. His Jewish family always followed the Jewish ways. Whether it was to food laws or whatever it was, they didn't follow the ways of the Greek. In fact, the Greek culture was coming in and they refused to follow. They kept strictly to the Jewish lifestyle. He was raised up in Tarsus and was trained under a leading rabbi of the day. We hear that in Acts chapter 5, Acts 22. Now, he's got a right to bray. His Jewish heritage. Now he talks about his Jewish position. Now he brags about his privileged personal achievements as what he's done. Number five, in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. He is one who believed that we must follow the law as best as we can. There were a bunch of Jewish people who were leaders of the time. They belonged to the strict Jewish party in terms of their approach to the Torah, to the law. They grew up obeying the written law and also what they called the oral law, which was a description of the written law. Paul called them the strictest sect, the strictest group in the book of Acts among the Jews. So he grew up as a leader among the Pharisees. The sixth thing he says, as for zeal, persecuting the church. The Jews believe as long as there is blasphemy in the land, the Messiah would never come. They wanted the Messiah to come. So they realized, in their mindset, they're like, okay, this church is saying that there is the Messiah. That's blasphemy, so let's get rid of this blasphemy completely. Then the Messiah would come. They had wanted to eradicate Christianity. And he had been one of the leaders against Christianity, 
called on by the Sanhedrin, allowing him to spread this great persecution. He was there at the stoning of Stephen and admitted how zealous he was at persecuting Christians. He even participated in executing Christians. Several believers, we read about this in Acts 26. And the last thing, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Pharisees believed that true righteousness was determined by the extent of how well you could keep to the law. What's written in the law, that's what I need to do. And if I can be as close in keeping of that, if I can be faultless, then that's where God will accept me. Of course, he's not claiming perfection here, but he was incredibly scrupulous about observing every part of the law. Of all the Jews that could break about something, Paul was the one to say, I'm the man. I can do it. Look at all that I've gained. And look at my great reputation. He's kind of like an accountant. Presenting a ledger. Developing his earthly gain to please God. And how much he could boast about. Confidence in the flesh. Hey, guess what? World, look at how great I am. And God, look at how great I am. Herein lies the problem. What gives someone a good reputation? And what is an achievement to hopefully be accepted by God is actually a liability with God. Do you get that? And this has always been our problem as humans. Our hearts want to work for it to show how good you are. In fact, when Amber and I, before we got married, there were a couple times I'm like, okay, i got to make sure I don't pick my nose in front of her. Or not that I pick my nose often. i got to make sure I don't burp and fart. i got to make sure I present a good image before her. And then when I met her parents, whoa, I was nervous. I wanted a good image. This has always been our problem. And the same thinking is today. We love to bring our goods before God and say, I hope this impresses you. Let me give you an example of what this is like. And I hope this impresses you. When I was a little kid, I was brought up in a Baptist church. Anybody else brought up in a Baptist church? Where's Pastor Aaron? There's his hand. All right, yeah. Brought up in a Baptist church. And I got my first Bible. It was great. I never read it because I was a little kid. I was like, you know, like one month old or something. Then finally I got my white Bible, which is over there. Then I, when I finally could really read stuff, I got the Schofield Study Bible. Anybody have a Schofield when you were a kid? Okay, just a few of you. All right, all right. Anyways, this was my Bible in high school. In fact, I held it like this all the time. My thumb is right. It wore it out. The New Testament is completely worked. I had, when I was in high school, I had 375 Bible verses memorized. This, I gave it the nickname, my Beebs. You like that? This, I'm, in fact, I'm going to tuck it in here because it's precious to me. I grew up reading the Bible. I got more stuff to impress you with, all right? All right. This is mainly for Pastor Aaron. January 20 of 2000, I wrote the Green Bay Packers to see if I could be their head coach. They said no. Because I wanted to work with Reggie White, the Minister of Defense, right? Okay, that's something. All right. I love Bibles. In fact, 
I'm a Bible sniffer. Remember I said that a couple months ago? Like when I was a little kid, I'd go to the new bookstores and sniff Bibles, and I've got so many Bibles. In fact, when I got married, I married into a great pedigree. You know, I, I've got into a great family. My father-in-law was the general editor of the NLT Bible. In fact, this is one of the few Bibles given to him. Some of the editors also wrote it thanking him. So I married into a nice Christian family. When I was a kid, when I got my first car, you know, remember Wisconsin place where the, the, there was yellow and black, then we got these cool ones. I got one that said, God's for you. If God's for you, who can be against you, right? I was always about telling people about God. You like that cool place? All right. I listen to Christian music. How many of you listen to Christian music? Anybody? Ten of you. Okay, man, all right. And... I've got Christian movies in my house. God's Not Dead, part two. I've seen the first one. I haven't seen this one. At least my kids always say I've seen it, but I think I fell asleep during it. But anyway, all right, all right, all right. Boy, look at all these goodies. I hope this impresses you. The Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I'm a man of prayer that gets me close to god right all right i graduated can you believe it in fact when i graduated high school my mom yelled out it's a miracle okay i graduated with a degree from trinity evangel i don't even know where my official you know diploma or whatever this thing is called masters of divinity that means i can walk on water in wisconsin only in february i'm a pro-life guy as you know my story, I'm a huge pro-life guy. That should impress you. In fact, my story is written about in this book, chapter 4. I'm in a book. Many of you are not in a book, but I'm in a book. Hope that impresses you. I've been on many mission trips. I've been, I, think, I don't even know how many countries I've been to, but this is one, Bolivia. I've been to so many trips preaching the gospel. I've been to China, where it is, yeah, so here. I preached in China at the Evangelical Free Church of China. I preached the gospel there. I'm part, I'm an associate member of the Evangelical Theological Society. We talk and pontificate on great, wonderful words in any ways, yeah. When I was in the Amazon jungle, remember telling me about how I hate snakes and I slept with a knife? This is the actual knife I slept with every night. I'm like, okay, bull constrictor, I'm going to cut you if you get to me. And I got to preach and pray for people in the jungle. I've led worship. How many of you can play guitar? I can play guitar and sing praises to God. I've been on mission trips. I remember being on a mission trip where I was able to, we went to Mexico. Um, my youth pastor at time, Bob Lenz, was like, let's go down there. And we get there, and everything was in advance, and I wired up the church because no one else knew how to do electricity. I've served the poor, giving them water when they needed it. I have translated, soon Pastor Aaron's going to finish his Greek, but I've translated the book of Romans in my own book here. I'm a police chaplain. I get to serve many people sharing the love of God. Look at all these goodies. And oh yeah, guess what? I just grabbed this and I'm the, the senior pastor. This is all impressive stuff. Oh, sorry. 
I do have one more thing. Uh, I do have sin. So this is my bag of sin. Anybody want to smell this? No, come on. Some of the, where's Dante? He was. This is a bag of sin. I guess that has to go. It's, it's not as big as yours though, right? But in here is all my pride, my hatred, my envy, my lust, my shame, the lies. That goes on the table, but we'll, we'll, we'll kind of cover it up, okay? All of this stuff. Listen to this. The Bible confronts every single member of the entire history of humanity with one accusation. All are under sin. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Even though you've got a pile of, on your table and you can be like, oh, I, you know, I, we all have this, right? We all have sin. Sin is not just bad and can get you in trouble. Listen to me. Sin brings death. Because of this, we now deserve eternal separation from God. This is not about bad people becoming good. Let's get more on our table and hide the sin bag. It's not about that. That's not what's happening here. It's about dead people coming alive. We're all guilty before God because the greatest righteousness, all the goodies you think you can have, that's nothing because of sin. And if these things are about your way of obtaining salvation, your way of making appeasement and impressing God, here's what Paul says. Take a look at your Bibles. Or the screen up there. But whatever was to my profit... I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might, be, that I might gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law and doing stuff, but that which is through faith in Christ. A righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. See, this table is full of stuff that cannot save me. I don't care how many Bible verses you memorize, how many times you come to church and try to say, look how squeaky clean I am on the outside. We all have this right here. Our sin. And the only thing that can deal with sin is the beauty of the cross. My own righteousness cannot do it. We can't rely on what one has achieved in this world or inherited from a human pedigree or great reputation. This is the one thing we cannot do, save ourselves. We need a way to get right with God. And God provides it. The human gains are not worthy for salvation. Only knowing Christ has eternal value. That's what the focus is. The true goal of life is not legal righteousness by keeping human regulations, but spiritual righteousness that leads to eternal life gained by faith in Christ. 
The greatest surpassing worth is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. He doesn't just say, a Lord, but my Lord. And that's what he says. How can anything in this world compare to the beauty of Christ? He is our master, and we must follow and obey him. Everything that produces human achievement should be considered a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. It must be considered garbage, and that's hard for us to understand. Look at what it says. The, I wrote this down. The idea of counting everything a loss and casting out as garbage is difficult. So what do I do with this? Do I say that none of that means anything? Well, it means nothing compared to the beauty of Christ, especially when it comes to salvation. How do we take this? What this is not saying is we should refuse to work or do any ministry or to go on any mission trips or memorize any Bible verses or I shouldn't take care of my family or reject all material things. That's not what he's saying. He's saying this. Christ must be number one in such a view that everything else looks like garbage. In fact, if I rely on that, that is garbage. Christ is the only one. Christ should be, as you hear me say, he's number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. Then Amber's number six. Poor Amber's number six. But the problem is, my heart's an idol factory. And I love, if God was number one and then my wife was number two, uh, sometimes that may switch, right? My love for Christ should be so extreme that it looks like nothing else matters to me when it comes to salvation, for sure, but nothing compares to Jesus. Our primary goal is to magnify Christ. And we are responsible to still take care of our family. Still, I should still have a job. Still, I should be doing what God's called me, designed me to do. But Christ is number one, number two, number three, number four, number five. And we must renounce what used to control our lives. If you use this stuff and brag about this and think this is all my value, no. For me to live is what? Christ. To die is gain. The demand, this demands an act of the mind and will. That stuff is nothing compared to the beauty of the cross. No ritual performed on me can save me that is in the human realm. Only what Christ has done. Our present total surrender and dependence on Him alone is the reality of eternal significance. And how is this done? Paul gives this sharp contrast. This is a little section is what I call the gospel in a nugget. What's the gospel message? It's right here. There's self-righteousness versus Christ-centered righteousness. We must be found not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law by doing good things. A righteousness attained from the law is inadequate to save you. The only way of being found in Him is through, take a look, it says, faith in Christ. It's nothing that we have earned, nothing that we can do. It's a gift rather than achievement. Because our sin, we need to be right with God. 
And the only way it comes is through Christ and the cross. His true righteousness. My righteous deeds are nothing compared to the beauty of Christ. Faith speaks of our faith in Jesus. And we must have a faith response to God's free gift of salvation. Those who work for salvation are very, very tired and they'll never make it. And God calls us to accept Him freely. Let's jump up to what we skipped here. For it is we who are the circumcised. Verse 3. We who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh. It's the heart that God's looking at. Not external things. Not external appearances that determines a Christ follower. Jews and Gentiles are now together members of one family. Not by your racial pedigree, not by what you can do when you were born, what was performed upon you when you were born, only through faith in the cross. It says we serve God by the Spirit. They serve and worship God, not regulations. Second, they boast about Christ Jesus. True boasting is not in your human stuff, but only in Christ. That's what we should be living for. Don't boast in the works of the law or your own pious ways of doing things. It can never be enough. The only way anyone can get right with God, the only one that's, way that you can be saved is trusting in the work of Christ, not in the work of what we have done. And third, it says, we put no confidence, I put no confidence in the flesh. Grace. It is by grace, not by works. So that no one, as Ephesians 2 says, no one can boast. It's only through Christ. Right relationship with God is spiritual. It's not through the flesh, it's through the Spirit. Centered upon the atoning sacrifice of Christ. So let me end with this. The message is very clear here. Paul says, you know what? All the achievements I could do, all of that, that is nothing. Whatever was to my profit, I consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I might gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that through faith. Any attempt to place our confidence on earthly relationships or human achievements is doomed to fail. All other religions, you got to work for it, whereas Christianity, His work did it for me. We can only become part of the true people of God when our boasting is centered on Christ. And our only action is not these things to gain salvation, but faith in Him and His work on the cross. So let's end with this. Some of you might think, I'm going to go to church all the time. I'm going to make sure I look good and pretty on the outside. But your heart isn't right. You cannot save yourself. The amount of good works you can do, all the stuff, that is nothing. It's like stinky rags. Our self-righteousness. The only way you can be 
right with God is through the beauty of the cross. So here's what I ask. Today, surrender. Today, in your heart, say, you're right, I can't do it, God. I trust in the beauty of Jesus Christ. He is the only way that we can attain salvation. Let's pray. Father God, I'm amazed at how many times we complicate the message of salvation. We are foolish humans who like to add so much and complicate it and make things so hard. And also, sometimes we don't realize the gravity, the seriousness of our sin. Because of my sin, I deserve the wrath of God. I deserve eternal separation. But God, who is rich in mercy, and because of His great love for us, sent Jesus His Son to take my place. And Lord, this morning we pray, Lord, Help us trust you. Let me commit my life to you as Savior and Lord. You are the Master. I belong to you. So I pray for anyone who's in this room who just needs to say in their hearts going, God, I need you. I surrender my will. I no longer live for myself. I trust in you. And in you, life is found. In knowing you, life is found. And this I pray in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen? Stand and sing our last few songs with us. <coughs>